Well, good morning. Now, do you want to take another vote on Mark Dave preaching? I see you. <laughs> oh, well, obviously Brian is out of town today. I think he's at the beach from what I understand. So uh, I'm just keeping the seat warm for him until he gets back next week. But uh, it's good to be here. I'm glad you're here and thankful to be able to share this time together. We started a new series last week called Faith with Doubt. It's going to be a multiple week uh, series. And in the course of that, Brian made three statements that are going to be the basis for the sermon series moving forward. So I want to go over those a little bit today uh, as, we, as we move forward. The first thing he said was, uh, it's normal to have questions in your faith. We live in a place of mystery. There's a lot of things happening that we don't understand. We live with mysteries. Things are beyond our understanding. Maybe you heard about the Catholic friars that moved to this country from Africa to establish a small floral shop. And they brought with them some man-eating vines. And they didn't think that would be a problem, but it turned out to be a problem. They had their shop, the uh, People that lived in the little community would go in and do their shopping and not everybody came out. Those vines did some people eating. Well, the town noticed. And they complained to the sheriff whose name was Hugh. And Hugh got his deputies together and he went in and investigated. And sure enough, the friar's florist shop had man-eating plants. So he destroyed all the plants, he arrested the friars. And here's the key to this mystery. Only Hugh can prevent fl uh, florist friars. I practiced and practiced and practiced that line. Uh, only Hugh can prevent florist friars. You try it. See how you do. Uh, but there are things that not even Hugh can understand. There's mysteries that are beyond you, and you won't know everything. You can't know everything. You don't know everything. We live in a world of mystery. There's the mystery of pain and suffering and evil. Even the love of God that caused His Son, allowed His Son to go to the cross for us, the depth of that love is mystery. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we live by faith. And not by sight. And that's why we were reminded last week of that great verse in Deuteronomy that says God's revealed certain things to us, but that He's kept secret things, some secret things to Himself. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we will see face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know uh, fully, even as I am fully known. We also said that last week, our confidence in our faith is what allows us to share the things that we know. But it's our humility in our faith that causes us to say there are some things that we just don't know. So it's normal to have questions about your faith. The second statement that we made introducing this series is that you can only doubt what you already believe. Doubt, you see, presupposes the presence of belief. And that's why we should be encouraged when we feel 
these doubts or feels, you know, I'm just not certain about this. That tells me that God is still working on me. God's still moving. He's still working. And, and there's most of our doubts and our questions do have answers out there. And we need to be looking for those. And there's some incredibly bright people. We call them apologists. that make a lot of faith-based, fact-filled information available to us on the web. So you could just go to a web browser, go to a, a YouTube search engine, and type in your question, and you can get a lot of good information about uh, evidences for your faith. Uh, if we don't, you know, there can be problems that, that creep in. And we need to be as diligent as we can to find evidence, not, not to prove, not necessarily rather, to prove to an atheist that our faith is valid, so that we can align our heads and our hearts as we walk daily in the path of Christ. We can get our minds and our hearts together in this pursuit. And it will also greatly benefit our young people because we're losing far too many young people to the atheists and agnostics in our culture. We need to be better prepared with evidence for the truth that we have. And that will help us honor what Peter wrote in, in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. The answers, many, many, many answers are there. We need to search. We need to find them. And we can only doubt what we already believe. And doubt is not the same as unbelief. This is very quick. Doubt is having questions about what you believe to be true. Unbelief is refusing to believe what is true. Now in this series, Faith with Doubt, we want to get behind the doubt to see some of the causes, some of the roots for the doubts to come. And last week Brian mentioned uh, a muddled memory is one of the things that can cause us to have doubts and allow those doubts to creep in. Well this morning we're going to look at the second uh, doubt or the second root cause of doubt and that's having a partial picture of God. Now you know what partial pictures are. That's when you look at a small part of something and think you understand everything about the bigger picture. And we've tried that before. We've played that game before. We've got some pictures we're going to see and to see if you can tell what the big picture is we're going to look at a small picture. Let's look at that first one. Any idea what that is? Guitar strings. Anybody else have a thought? Hmm. Blinds? Hmm. No. How about some cell phones stacked together? How about a jet engine? How about the, ne the next slide is it's a book. It's a book. Now, probably if you're under 40, you may not have seen one of these. But that's what we used to call books. That's what we used to call books. Now, let me give you one that might be a little easier. Take a look at this. You think you know what that is? Any brave souls out there know what that is? Oh! <laughs> not today. <laughs> Cows in the barn on Sundays at Chick-fil-A. What do you think? You think that's a Hereford cow. Now that's what you're sitting out there thinking, isn't it? You think it's Hereford? Well, that next slide shows us that that's actually a dolphin in a Hereford outfit that's just out for some playtime with his buddy. You see, we look at that small thing 
We look at that small thing and we think we've got it all figured out. A partial picture is when we only see a part. We can go on to the next slide if you want. We're, we're, we're done with that kind of nonsense. Uh, but a partial picture is when we look at a part and we think we have the whole figured out. We think we have it all figured out. It's kind of like, you remember that ancient story? This thing's probably a thousand years old, maybe two, I don't know. About the blind men in India, there were six of them, and they went to the elephant, and, and they were led to different parts of the elephant. One grabbed the tail, one the trunk, one the, uh, the, the tusk. One of those guys managed to reach up and grab the ear. And they all had different ideas of what this thing was like. One thought it was a wall. One thought the, it was like a rope. One, you know, hugged the leg and thought it was a tree. And they all had these different, same animal, same animal, but they all had all these different ideas about what it was. And they debated loud and long, but they were partly right and they were mostly wrong. And they were certain that they were all right about something they had never even seen. Huh. Now that's exactly what happens sometimes in our faith. Whether it's because of legalism or an attitude of arrogance, we see part of God and we hold on to that and we think that's what God is. But in truth, God is much, much bigger than that one thing and hopefully as we mature we'll be able to see that we can be right and still be wrong. And later in life if we don't open up our picture of God and begin to see God beyond that small picture that we have, that can be room for doubt and driving many believers into discouragement. So that's what we're going to consider this morning, having a partial picture of God. And there's three symptoms that kind of surface when we look at what's, what's the picture of, of, of those, of me, if I have a partial picture of God. And the first symptom is that of boredom. For God, uh, many have painted Him as, as angry and dull and boring and overpowering. And if that's your picture of God then you definitely don't have a picture of the Almighty as He is pictured in Scripture because our God, there is nothing dull or boring about Him. With Jesus, every day is a new adventure if we have the eyes to see and the courage to walk that path with Him. And if you think God is boring, you don't know the God of the Bible. If you think Jesus is boring, you've not really grasped the picture of the New Testament, of the Gospels of Christ as He moves about within the hearts and lives of people. So that, that boring uh, symptom is a part of, of the character of, of one who might have a partial picture of God. There's another characteristic, and that is pessimism. We can get a picture of that straight from Scripture. Do you recall, uh, some of you may, and probably some of you do, when Abraham was told by God that his wife would have a child, and then Abraham went to tell his wife Sarah, who was 90 years old, that she was going to have a child, what was her response? She laughed. She laughed. I kind of think it might have been a, a pessimistic, uh, pessimistic laugh. Yeah, right, I'm going to have a child. You see, she laughed in pessimism. She had a partial picture of God. She thought she had God figured out. She knew what He could do. She knew what God was capable of. And so when this idea, this promise came in that was bigger, that was outside of her picture, she laughed. Pessimistically, I think, and figuratively in the face of God. 
And we sometimes do that. When we hear a truth that might be beyond our picture of God, it's, it's a tough time of life, and somebody says, God loves you, we're battling, we're battling the enemy in some form, and somebody says to us, the Holy Spirit will help you in that battle, and maybe like Sarah, we say, yeah, right, I've been fighting this battle by myself for so long. God cannot help me in my addiction, in my fear, in my trouble. And listen, if you're pessimistic about what God is and who God is, you definitely don't have a complete picture of God because our God, the God of creation, the God who redeemed us with Him, impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. So pessimism kind of, kind of is a symptom of one who has a small picture. And another symptom, the final symptom, is that of antagonism. And there are people, and many of these people were once active believers, but they've gone through certain tragedies or difficulties in life, and as a result, they've become hostile toward God. That thing, whatever that struggle was, whatever that tragedy was, has not made them better, but rather has made them bitter in their, in their approach to God. And it's not like they've stopped, necessarily stopped believing in God. It's now they're angry at the God they believe in. And I think some are antagonistic toward Him because of what He's allowed them, or you, or me, to go through. And I, I, th I think it's pretty interesting that a lot of the so-called atheists we might run into Maybe they're simply believers who need a lot of healing in their life. Maybe. So understanding these symptoms, these three symptoms, this uh, boring, uh, pessimistic, and, the, and, the, and antagonism, these are our problems uh, that are symptoms that can give us a false picture of who God is, and a false picture of who God is can lead to these, but it's not a picture of the reality. These do not typify or draw the reality of who God is. So how do we keep these symptoms at bay? How do we keep them from developing in us? And there are two reasons, two, two ways, two methods to keep these things at bay. And the first, or I'm sorry, how do these symptoms develop in us? How, these things creep in in two ways. One, because we see God only from our own experiences. And if we allow our experiences... To be the only artist drawing our picture of God, then we're going to have only a partial picture. It'll be totally incomplete. And you know why? Because our life experiences are life experiences in a broken world. This world is abnormal. It's not the way God designed it to be. It's not the way He created it. Let's look at it this way. Let's start with a cage and five apes. You may have heard this illustration as it applies to business topics and business seminars. But we've got a cage and we've got five apes and now we suspend on a string a banana and put some stairs under that banana. Before long, one of those brave apes is going to grab those stairs in an effort to, to get the banana and as soon as one touches those stairs, water hoses blast all of those five apes with freezing water. And they just kind of say, enough of that. Well, it's not long until 
Another ape, or the same ape, an ape, goes to the stairs, going to do the same thing, and here comes the water again. And this happens several times before they get the picture, but one guy is a little slower than the other. He goes to the steps, and now it's not the water that stops him, it's the other four apes. Nobody's getting near those steps. Now, enough of the water. Nobody's going back. And they get to the point where they understand, and then you take one of those apes out and put in a new ape. He doesn't know the drill. So he sees the banana, goes to the steps, and the other apes beat him. They pummel that guy. He doesn't know why. He doesn't get the picture. But he understands now. But not at first. He goes, enough. He goes again. This new guy goes again. And finally he gets the picture. Now all five apes, they're, they're not getting near that thing. You replace another of the original apes. Get him out, put a new one in. And this new one goes in. You know what's happening. He goes to the stairs. And these other four, including the one previous newbie, he doesn't know why he's doing it, but he's punishing this new ape too. And after a while, he's doing it with enthusiasm. And now all these guys understand not to go near. Although, only three of them know why. Only three of them know it's this water that's going to get us if we don't stop it. If we don't stop it, you, replay, you go through this to the third guy and the fourth guy. You take out all of those original apes. You put in, yeah, I mean, you've got these five guys and none of them have experienced the difficulty of the water or the, you know, the, the discomfort of that. None of them have, but none of them ever go near those steps again. And why is it? Because they let their life experience dictate their practice and belief. Now let me say, we live in a sinful world. It's a fallen world. In this war, uh, this world is at war with God. It's been ravaged by sin and evil powers, and you and I are right in the middle of it. Uh, many times we're victims of it. We're collateral damage. We're wounded warriors. We bear the scars of betrayal, of addiction, of disappointments, even our own failures, we bear those scars and our experiences. Our experience skew our picture of who God is. Because we've been beaten up, we've been beaten down, we've been discouraged, we've been disappointed by the people around us. And we begin to get a very small picture, a distorted picture of God. That picture is not complete in who God really is. Our picture now is ugly and tainted. And that's not a picture of God. You want to know a Bible example of this? Let's look at someone named Naomi. Now you've heard of Naomi. She was Ruth's mother-in-law. In the, in the first chapter of Ruth, we have that story. And it's, it's one of the saddest, most difficult stories in the Bible. The story of Naomi. Because of famine in her homeland, she left her country with her husband and her two sons. And went to a different country. Went to Moab is where she went. In Moab, her husband died. She did her best to raise her boys. They, these Jewish boys grew up and, and married Moabite gals. And then her sons died. And she, couldn't, she was there in this foreign country without her husband, without her sons. And she decided she needed to go back home. And she told her daughters-in-law, I'm going to go back. You're young. Stay here and remarry. Juan did, but Ruth said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let you go alone. And you know, you know the passage. It's Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
Just a couple of verses before that, in verse 13, Naomi had said this to Ruth. It's more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You notice the way Naomi phrased that? The Lord's hand has turned against me? She goes back to Bethlehem, to where she was from. And it had been 10 years that she'd been in Moab. And they'd been hard years. She had suffered loss. And she looked worn. She went back to Bethlehem. And the people said, can this be Naomi? And her response is in 20, uh, verses 20 and 21 of Ruth 1. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara or Mara. She says, which is the Hebrew word for bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. See, Naomi had a partial picture of God. And she, what she was saying was, look at the tragedy of my life. Look at the loss of my life. God must hate me. She was forming her opinion, her, her image of God, strictly from her experience and from her own experience. God was not a very good God. As a matter of fact, He was pretty unloving. That was her picture from her experience. And there are people that have that same kind of mentality today. I see God through what I've experienced. And that leads to a very incomplete picture of who God is. And there are others who see God only through the lens of a formal, you know, strict religion. Through, through you know, the rites and the uh, ceremony of religion. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, we read part of this was for our focus verse from this 40th chapter. Verses 18 and 19 says, With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken Him as for an idol? A metal worker casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. He's talking about idols that were used in religious worship. And you know that idol was something they could touch with their hands. They could see uh, something that you could hold if it was small enough. And there have been many of those throughout history. He, he made another reference to it in the 20th verse. He said, a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. And they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Images used to represent God. And over time, that image becomes so increasingly associated with God or the God, so much so that this image, whatever size, whatever shape, whatever material it is, it stops representing God and starts becoming God in their minds. It becomes sacred and an object of worship. And that's why God said in Exodus, the 20th chapter, as He was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, He said in verse 4, He gives the second command, You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Now Isaiah needed to counsel the people of his day about that because they had all of these idols of, of wood and stone and precious metals. They had Asherah, they had Baal, they had Molech, they had all these other gods. But we do too. Maybe not graven images, maybe some of them are, but we have a god called postmodernism. 
And postmodernism is the mindset that there is no absolute truth. There just isn't any. But they will embrace any and every truth that's out there. Our culture believes. Our culture believes that any belief that is sincerely held is a valid expression of truth. So what's the correction for these, these, these narrow, impartial, or, or, or partial, or incomplete pictures of God? What's the correction? How can we get our vision corrected? And it's really simple. It's really simple. Two things. Prayer and Bible study. Bible study and prayer. You see, we can't create God to be something that He's not. And we can't stop God from being something that He is. God is God. We need to see Him as He is. I love that verse of Isaiah, uh, verse, chapter 40, verse 18, where he says there's nothing, nothing on all the earth that you can use to compare to God. He created all of this. All of this. He created it all. He's above it all. He's greater than anything you can imagine. The theological word is transcendent. He's otherworldly. Isaiah 40 25 and 26. Wonderful verses. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. And now we're going to get a picture of the size of our God. Listen to this. Lift up your eyes, Isaiah writes, and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of His great power and mighty strength, not one is missing. Does that just grab your heart and soul deep down to who you are? Listen to the size of our God. He created all of that, and He brings out the starry host one by one. Knows them by name, calls them by name, and He brings forth each one in such a way that by His plan, not one is missing. Where do we turn to get a complete picture of God? But to His Word and to prayer? No, we don't turn to ourselves. We don't turn to look at anything He has made, although God has made some beautiful things. You've seen beautiful creation of God, and so have I. Uh, but those, are, those, those don't capture the size of God. We've got to turn to Him. We've got to turn to prayer. We've got to turn to His Word. I love that old prayer. You've seen this old prayer. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've prayed it. But that old prayer goes like this. Dear God, today I want to see you more clearly so that I can love you more dearly and follow you more nearly. We need a better view of God. Don't we? I do. And my guess is that you do too. We need a more complete picture of Him. And that will come. The complete picture will come. The more we open His Word. And the more we ask His Holy Spirit to open our hearts. To, to join uh, to, to the truth of His Word. And to join with others who are doing the same thing. You see, we need each other in this. We need each other. And if we only keep a picture of God that comes through our experience or through the lens of some kind of formal religion, then our hearts might become this fertile ground for doubt. God wants us to be confident. No doubt. No doubt. Will you stand with me? I want you to read this prayer with me.
we're just going to read through that prayer together as we wrap this up. And I pray that this is the, 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 the whispers or the shouts of your heart wanting to join a, a closer walk with God. Will you, will you read this out loud with me? Dear God, today I want to see you more clearly so that I can love you more dearly and follow you more nearly. Will you bow with me, please? God, may that be the prayer that we whisper later today, tonight. Lord, may that prayer bring us new life tomorrow as we whisper that prayer to you. Every day, may you see that to be the, the, the desire of our heart, to see you more clearly, to know you more evenly or clearly or God, may we uh, be more dear in our, in our walk and follow you more nearly. We want to see you, Lord. We want to know you the way you know us. And you know us completely. You know the needs of our heart. And there are those here this morning that have a need, that have a burden. And God, we know that you're wanting and able to do the impossible. To lift that burden, to ease the load. Uh, to make life the way you designed it, that we thrive in life living side by side with your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would, as we move into this time of response, that if there are those in our midst that need to take a stand for you, that need to take a step for you, that they might in these moments honor you and honor the leading of your Spirit and take that step to make that move. Whatever the need is, God, we thank you that we can bring it to you and we thank you that you can take it from us. Thank you for your son who gives life now and life eternal. And we pray in his name. Amen. This morning we do have a, a response time that we're going to share. If you have a need that can be met by stepping forward and asking for help. Maybe stepping into uh, baptistry waters. If you've never done that, God wants you to become new. And that's a part of his process in that new birth. If you want to know what it's like or what it's, what it's about to become a part of a new family, a, a family of faith, and this might be where you want to, uh, to join us and to be a part of this wonderful family, this community at Gateway, and in particular here at Taze Valley, we'd ask you to make us uh, aware of that too. And if you want to respond to the, to the song we're singing, I'm going to be over here to your right, and I'll talk with you, I'll pray with you, talk to any, anybody else in this congregation, and they'll do the same. But now is your time to respond.